This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 10th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The financial reform known as Dodd-Frank is unconstitutional, and if that's not enough for you, it gives vast powers to unaccountable bureaucrats to control financial transactions. That from Republican U.S. Representative Scott Garrett. He spoke at a Cato Capitol Hill briefing held this week. Let me just begin by saying, though, despite all the accolades, that I think the title is a little bit off. Dodd-Frank is not a piece of legislation or of law that is of questionable um, constitutionality. I would say that it is, without question, unconstitutional. And I, for that reason, I say I oppose Dodd-Frank when it came through uh, the House for a vote, um, not simply because it was a bad bill that was done um, in a less than... Um, efficient manner, that we could have done it more efficiently and such, but basically because it was unconstitutional. And those are really two very different things, to say that I'm voting against something because I think it's just not done well versus voting against something because it uh, is unconstitutional. It is um, one thing to oppose a bill to say, well, I think I am smarter than the other side or have more wisdom than they do, but it's entirely another thing to oppose a law because Well, because it basically violates the very principles upon which this country was founded and upon the Founding Fathers' documents, i.e. the Constitution. As this audience knows, I believe that uh, our Constitution establishes a government basically of restraint. It enumerates a series of few and defined powers. It defines those uh, powers and responsibilities among three branches of government. And in doing so, it basically establishes a system of checks and balances. Um, in which basically if one branch becomes overly ambitious, it is then countered by uh, countervailing balances from one or two of the other branches. But rather than establish a regulatory regime uh, that is consistent with those constitutional principles, Dodd-Frank then is the great exception to the Constitution. Dodd-Frank does so by doing what? By creating not just one, but two agencies that are granted basically unlimited power to define and pass rules to regulate every conceivable financial transaction and does so without being accountable to anyone. These two agencies, of course, are CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and FSOC, the Financial Stability Oversight Council. And they basically are effectively uh, the judge, the jury, and you could also say the executioner of the institutions they deal with and the American economy as well. So what I'm going to do right now in the next few minutes is to argue that the manner in which these agencies operate are uh, without question in violation of the Constitution. And my arguments, I will also add this, are not purely academic in nature. I will also basically show that in overstepping these constitutional frameworks and boundaries of legitimate government, they actually have real effect, real negative effect on real people like you and I. And so the best place to start is the topic dealing with most attention in the news, and that, of course, is the unconstitutional recess appointment of uh, Richard Cardray over as director over at the CFPB. Now, we step back for a moment. Before President Obama was President Obama, of course, he was Senator Obama, not very long for Senator Senator Obama. But in that short period of time, he must have been amazingly, incredibly perceptive because he knows now, as president, better than the Senate does exactly when when the Senate is actually in recess. So a recess appointment made when the Senate is not in recess is devastating to the system for a number of reasons. First, the president's actions effectively erase the advice and consent clause of the Senate from the apportionment clause. 
And it basically then goes back to what I said before. It imperils the checks on the executive powers that the founders thought was necessary to do what? To prevent the emergency, emergence of tyranny in the government. Secondly, well, secondly, technically speaking, it opens up another large can of worms. Uh, when the president recess appointed Richard Cordray as director, at the same time, as you probably know, he also appointed three individuals over the NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, which the courts have already struck down as unconstitutional. And now since the court's ruling, and that was back a couple months ago, back in January, the, the NRL rulings during the tenure when he was in, when they were in, uh, when those illegal appointments were made, there are no less than 72 cases in federal court right now challenging the rules that came about. So if the NLB rulings can be challenged, and they will be, doesn't it follow that the CFPB rules will be challenged as well? And if they are, and they probably will be, won't this have huge, huge implications for all of us? For example, if the CFPB adopts a qualified mortgage rule, um, or as commonly known as QM, this rule basically effectively defines for all of us what is a what a proper or qualified mortgage is in the country that you may get for uh, a new house that you buy. Um, so it defines the terms of those loans for all of us. So we have a potential situation here now, right? If that is challenged, and if we find that Mr. Cordray was illegally, unconstitutionally appointed, and now sits there as an illegitimate head of CFPB, what happens to all of the rules? If that happens, it is only a matter of time before the QM will be challenged. And if that happens, what will happen? You will have effectively chaos in the housing mortgage market situation. Uncertainty, which we have already, which is what we're trying to undo, will just be exacerbated for any potential new homeowner going to the bank, going to the bank and trying to get a loan. But let's take, for example, let's be optimistic. Let's assume for a moment and pretend that the CFPB director was appointed in a constitutional manner. Maybe the Senate confirms his nomination. Even if that is the case, I would suggest that the CFPB is still an unconstitutional monster. Look, the CFPB mission is to prevent practices that it is empowered to define as unfair, deceptive, and abusive. And with the limitless grant of authority, there are no checks, if you will, placed on them. Secondly, it is well known that the CFPB nullifies Congress's greatest power to, as part of a check on the executive. And you're all asking yourself, what is that great power? The power of the purse. It was James Madison who called the power of the purse and the powers that Congress has the most complete and effective weapon we have. Now, Dodd-Frank basically disarms that weapon by funding the CFPB how? Through the Federal Reserve. They simply have to ask for the money, and the Federal Reserve gives those. It does not go through the regular appropriation process in Congress. Add all that, and there's even more problems. CFPB director is exempt from executive branch oversight. While the director is appointed by the president for a five-year term, he can stay on there basically indefinitely if no successor is confirmed in the Senate. And the director can be removed only under strictly limited circumstances and not for anything but for policy reasons. So you take all that, take the fact that CFP is headed by a singular regulator with unlimited power, is not accountable to the legislative or the judicial branch, and cannot be removed until the Senate confirms someone else, there's a problem. On top of that, I also stress that this is not simply an academic exercise, as I said at the very beginning. It is worth noting the consequences that result from Dodd-Frank's violation to the Constitution 
or go in other areas as well. Let's take, for example, the one of salaries. As of right now, there's almost 1,000 people working over the CFPB, 958 to be exact. 577 of them, over 60% of the entire staff, make over $100,000. 20% of them make over $150,000. 5% of them make over $200,000. Lest we forget that uh, people working in the cabinet for the president make less than that, $199,000. Now, you might think, well, that's all necessary in order to get people over there working at, uh, with great talent. But just mind you this, and hopefully it will not be a rush to the door, summer interns working at the CFPB can make on an annualized basis $40,000, um, which is more than a lot of people, as you know, working on the Hill right now. But really, you may stand back and think, should this surprise any of us? When you give an agency immense powers to achieve an all-competency mandate with no one basically watching over them, where there are no consequences for the actions, the CFP clearly is, feels justified in doing what we might here think is outrageous. And this is what results from a lack of accountability. And if that frightens you at all, there's more, as they say on late night TV. Um, Title I of Dodd-Frank creates the FSOC, which is charged with acting as a systemic regulator, preventing too big to fail, and of course they will prevent all future bank failures in this country. Um, with a mandate such as this, the power of the FSOC cannot be overstated. See, the FSOC has a statutory ability to promulgate its own rules and regulations, as well as the authority to decide which non-bank financial institutions would be subject, basically, to them going out and seizing them. Additionally, FSOC is empowered with the ability to control the activities of any financial institution simply by a two-thirds vote of its board. Now, if that sounds unconstitutional to anyone in the room, you are not alone. It must have sounded unconstitutional to the uh, drafters, the people who wrote the bill, because when they wrote it, um, the way they wrote it was they said the court would not be authorized to review the rules on which uh, the FSOC interprets their uh, Dodd-Frank going forward. So we knew all along that Congress had to do to enact unconstitutional law it was difficult. Now we know the easy way to do it. Just pass a bill and say in the bill that uh, the courts cannot rule it unconstitutional, and there you have it. It took us 225 years how to figure it out. Dodd-Frank made us uh, be able to get beyond the Constitution just by, by sticking it in legislation. Fortunately, we all know in this room, because you're pretty smart people, that's not exactly how the Constitution works. You have uh, Article Three of the Constitution basically guarantees what the uh, independence of the judiciary. And as again, as they say on night, late night TV, if that's not bad enough, there's even more. Title II of Dodd-Frank deals with order liquidation authority. Under this title, the government can decide if a financial company, a financial company, is in danger of default, and if that company's failure poses a threat to the financial stability of the U.S. economy. So those are the two-pronged tests. If the Treasury Department decides yes to one and two, then the Treasury basically in FSOC can basically replace the current law that we've known for a couple hundred years, basically the bankruptcy law, and puts the whole institution into where? Receivership. This type of power is unprecedented. It grants immense powers to really a handful of unelected bureaucrats. It powers them to do pick winners and losers, and decides who gets liquefied and who goes um, is sustained, and it does all this against the interest of the investors. So if you think about that, Title II not only puts the company at risk, but more importantly, it puts the investors' rights at risk as well. It eliminates any meaningful judicial review and due process. 
So once the liquidation process begins, the company by by the Treasury Secretary, the company has one day, 24 hours, to convince a federal judge that this should not happen. And if the company, their lawyers, unable to do this Herculean task, liquidation process will begin, even though an appeal is pending. An appeal, of course, can take days, weeks, or months. Meanwhile, it's all being liquefied. And on top of that, and for good order, Dodd-Frank prohibits the courts from reviewing whether the Treasury decision was constitutional or even necessary to protect the financial stability. And meanwhile, while Treasury is determining the soundness of an institution, Dodd-Frank prohibits that very same company that they're looking at from disclosing that threat of liquidation to the public or its investors. So if you think about all that, you may say this is an, invest, uh, an attack on investment in this country, and it is. It's also an attack on the investors. First, investors are prohibited from being informed that the company that they invested in will soon cease to exist in wiping out their interests. Secondly, then the company is placed in receivership. There is basically no room for judicial review. As a result, there's basically no way for investors to be able to recoup their investment either during or after. So Dodd-Frank's orderly liquidation authority does not merely violate the Constitution's separation of powers. It also violates the Fifth Amendment guarantee of due process and the guarantee of a uniform bankruptcy laws as well. So, ended up, it's bad enough when Congress acts in a way that violates a single provision of the Constitution. It is amazingly and infinitely worse when Congress works to virtually eliminate all checks and balances in one fell swoop like we do in Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank basically untethers the agency that it creates from all three branches, as I said before, um, where you're supposed to have checks and balances, effectively destroying the entire notion of checks and balances. And wait, there is still more. I still have not said anything about the doctrine of non-delegation in which Congress cannot surrender its legislative authority to be performed by another entity, which Dodd-Frank does in page after page after page of this 2,000-page document. So I'm sure that the constitutional arguments I've outlined right now are not comprehensive. I'm sure there are more. But we are learning firsthand why James Madison said many years ago that laws should not be, quote, so voluminous that it cannot be read or so coherent such as this, that they cannot be understood. So while I'm sure that most Americans have not read Dodd-Frank, and some of those that did, I'm sure, don't understand it, the effects of Dodd-Frank on them are very real. As I've outlined from the illegal appointment of the director to the potential effects of home mortgage financing industry to the high salaries over at the CFPB to the demolition of investor rights to the violation of the Constitution and all it results in real, real consequences that will hit the pocketbooks, basically, of every American. In short, Dodd-Frank is the perfect piece of progressive law. It removes the people's representatives from the policy-making decision and in their place entrusts their unaccountable so-called experts that we have down in Washington with unlimited control of the economy. Scott Garrett is a Republican serving in the U.S. House. He spoke at a Cato Institute Capitol Hill briefing this week. You can watch the full event at our website, cato.org.